Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. We're sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Hello and welcome to the World Cricket Show, the one and only place on television, radio or the internet where you can get your Ashes verdict. My name is Adam Bayfield and I'm very much the poor man's Charles Colville and with me in the studio tonight is an extremely poor man's Bob Willis, it's Tony Kerr. Yeah, thanks Adam. How is it going this week, Tony? It's been better. It's been a rough few days, hasn't it? <laughs> it's been tough, mate. Yeah, it's been tough. No, I mean, it's going all right, isn't it? You can't really complain at uh, this time of year. There's a lot... I mean, this is the good thing about... I don't know about cricket. Uh, as a, well, as an England fan, I guess, is that, you know, in the summer, if it's going badly, you just go to the beach. And in the winter, it's Christmas, actually. So <laughs> I've actually just been able to kind of, I don't know, partition off the ashes in my brain. Well, also because it goes on, on overnight. Yeah. Like you don't need to engage with it if you don't want to. You know, if you go to bed at 11.45 get up at seven you know you don't have to see any of you missed cricket. it it's not really that important is it yeah. anyway so yeah. who cares <laughs> who cares now i'm thinking about getting a badge that just says <laughs> i don't want to talk about the ashes because the number of people like people at work and stuff asking me about it because that's like my thing i'm the guy who likes cricket i mean you did a podcast about well, it exactly exactly yeah <laughs> uh but you know People at work, they weren't asking me about cricket like when we were winning in India and stuff like that. But now that, you know, now that this is happening, it's all anyone wants to talk to me about. And they're like, oh, how about those ashes? Not going very well, is it? And I'm like, I don't want to talk about the ashes. And they're like, Haha, yeah, no, but really it's hard to explain. Like, no, 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 you don't understand. I do not want to talk about the ashes. <laughs> it's like in the Football World Cup when England do badly, people who don't watch football have a go at you, like how badly the England football team has, has done. And you find yourself on the defence, on the back foot, trying to justify Danny Mills. It's like, uh, it becomes very, I don't know, become very kind of protective. Justify Danny Mills. Uh, and it's the same thing with this, you know, people are like, oh, they're, you know, they're rubbish. What's happened to this England, you know, England cricket? It's always the same. Rubbish. Well, you know, it's not gone too badly the last few It's actually times. one of the weirder things about life, isn't it, though, that you do sort of feel personally responsible for the fortunes of the, the team or teams that you support, whether they're doing well or badly. So, like, the other day, uh, our friend Dave posted on uh, London correspondent Gordon McRae's wall. Now, Gordon is a Liverpool fan, and Dave just posted a link to Luis Suarez's four goals the other day, and he just said, credit where it's due. Like, Gordon deserves some credit. Credit to Gordon. <laughs> yeah. Well done, McRae. <laughs> well done, mate. Credit where it's due, mate. I mean, ultimately... I'm in no way responsible for Michael Carberry or Matt Pryor. I mean, well, but I, mean, I do feel I feel like I have to. I feel embarrassed. Although I guess, in some respects, as I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but you know, as a kind of a part of the cricket media, <laughs> the cricket uh, establishment. I don't, I don't I guess. Can, yeah, can we get away with that? You know, <laughs> we are partly responsible for the kind of one percent, maybe mental 
the pressure that they're under. Pressure, yeah. Yeah, but no, but what we do. Yeah, too, yeah but no, but yeah. yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> okay, but overall, Vicky Pollard, <laughs> isn't they? Do you remember that? Yeah, I remember that. It was the 90s, <laughs> was it? <laughs> yeah, but no, but. Uh, it's quite a good impression. I guess it's one of my better ones, yeah. isn't it? Here's another one. Computer says no. Yeah, do you remember this, Little Britain? Does anyone remember this? Hilarious, wasn't it? Those were the days. Uh, yeah, but no, but what we do is we try and point out how the media are ridiculous a lot of the time, don't we? Just to give us some credit, just to defend us for a moment. We try and alleviate some of that pressure by pointing out how ridiculous both of them and co are sometimes. We're like, I don't know what we're like, really. Heroes. <laughs> Everyday heroes. I mean, arguably... Cricket media heroes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I really don't want to talk about the Ashes, but there's probably no getting away from it. We probably are going to have to talk about the Ashes today. Uh, so that is going to be the bulk of the episode, I would imagine. Did you watch much of it live? Did you take it uh, as it came? I watched... I watched about an hour on uh, Saturday night, so it was at the fourth day, because I was actually out, got in just as the, the play was starting. Uh, but otherwise, I've mainly just been watching the, uh, the sort of hour or hour and a half at the end of the day when I, when I get up before work. What about you? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I caught a bit of it. I, I adopted the opposite approach. I've watched the first couple of hours and then, and then caught up later. But uh, yeah, I, did, I, I got in on Saturday night about four and I watched, uh, well, about three actually, and I watched an hour then. Such a hellraiser turn. I know, I'm mad, four. mad. Which is very depressing into the night, though. Really, it's like you know, out having a great time. People are like, oh, you know, do you want to, you want to come back here or something? And I'm like, no, I'm gonna say that. Gonna go home and watch the cricket. Oh, do you want to come back to mine? No, <laughs> no. Sorry, love. I've got to go watch Joe Root back. <laughs> uh, but it was, you know, it wasn't. It turned out to be the wrong decision. <laughs> Just trying, watching, like I think the first ball I saw was Kevin Peterson hoisting one like and it just falling just just clear of the fielder well I was actually I was in uh, in town in the pub on Saturday night and I was really knackered and I was like I'll tell you what I'll go home now watch an hour of the cricket perfect go to bed got in my car I was like oh, I could listen to it on the radio as I drive home just to hear boycott going pathetic absolutely <laughs> pathetic it was what Alsaker could just hold out in the deep uh, so yeah that wasn't a great a great end to the night for me either I don't think we, we haven't recorded a podcast, have we? Since you uh, since you were Woody, oh yeah, of in, course, in the Christmas parade. Yeah, that seems like a lifetime ago. I didn't manage to see it. I was at work. I couldn't go, but I've seen pictures on Facebook, which I will post on the World Cricket Show page at some point. It was actually quite for one. Actually, it was, it was really fun. I'm going to put it this way: it was really fun. Well, I'm going to put it this way: cut that. Well, cut all of that because you said for one as well. What does that mean? <laughs> for one, <laughs> yeah, cut it all. For one, it was really fun. Anyway, let me start again. Yeah. Should we just start the show again? Start the show again. Hello and welcome to... I've never felt more Christmassy. Okay. So that was, that was, the, that was the good aspect of it. Uh, you know, we, there was, I thought there'd be more of us. I thought it was going to be... I was imagining, like, kind of the Rio Carnival. Like, you know, thousands <laughs> of... A cast of thousands, floats and everything. But actually, <laughs> I got there and it's like, it's like 10 of us. Uh, uh, there was, like, Santa, obviously. A few elves. Uh, and then there was a kind of smattering of various characters. Although I didn't, well, I didn't, I wasn't aware of the existence of Jesse, who I believe is Woody's, don't know, girlfriend. Really? Well, I'd, I'd say so. Yeah. Love interest. Well, Jesse didn't turn up. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, you gutted. And there were no other Toy Story characters. So when they were like, did, Je- did Jesse? <laughs> was she like, yeah, I'll be Jesse? And then she heard, oh, Tony Kerr's going to be Woody. But I find something else to do. <laughs> 
Uh, we listen to the podcast. But the person who's organising it like read out the roll call, and they were like, "Right, we'll have uh, you know we'll have the Christmas cake and the like snowman first. Uh, that you'll go behind Santa, and then we'll have Captain Jack Sparrow and like Hook or something, and the other Peter Pan characters. Shrek and Fiona will be next, uh, and then there'll be there was a few others, all groups, and then like, and then at the end we'll have Woody." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, so anyway, I, I wrote, like ripped out that rule book and just milled around where I thought it gave me kind of free roll in the parade. So I, within about 30 seconds, and I was right up right at Santa. the back, trying to keep out of sight if you can. We'll have a <laughs> But yeah, it was, uh, it was good. And, you know, I didn't realise there was that many children in Guernsey, I have to say. Thousands of them. And actually, they were, I didn't expect any of them to know who Woody was. I thought Woody was a 90s character. Yeah, we said this before yeah. with Toy Story 3. But they were all like, like, Woody, Woody. And all the parents were like, look, there's Woody. And I was like, howdy, partner. Uh, and then one was Reach like, for the skies. That's what he says, uh, isn't it? See? Yeah. I couldn't... Uh, yeah, I was like, furiously looking up uh, quotes, Woody quotes, at the start of the parade. The only one I could find out was about the... Was it like plastic corrosion awareness meeting that I've just come back from or something? Right. Uh, but the kids didn't get that. There's a snake in my boots. You should have come to me to yeah. work. I mean, you should have been Woody, really. Yeah, I probably should have been Woody. I did buy the costume and uh, <laughs> did practice some of those lines in front of the mirror just in case you came down sick on the day or anything. But anyway, one kid said, Oh, I really like your movies. Uh, and I completely forgot I was just as Woody at that point. I was like, Oh, <laughs> thanks very much. <laughs> did you think you meant the video podcast that was there? <laughs> I really like that when we went to the South African show. <laughs> the worst part about it, though, was that it started at, like, four or something, and we were asked to get there at two, and I didn't realise it was giving me this much time. So by the time the parade actually started, a couple of us had had a few pints. Uh, I didn't get a chance to go to the toilet. I say a few, like, three pints or something, and I didn't get a chance to go to the toilet. I've honestly never needed the toilet more <laughs> in my life. By the time we got... It took us, like, 45 minutes to get to the square, and by that point, I was absolutely busting like physical agony uh, and there's obviously people lying in the street and I couldn't just dash off but when we got to the square we were led in this isn't a Paula Radcliffe moment no no thankfully <laughs> but we were led in uh, and like there were already like people like 10 deep at the barriers and then I like, opened the barrier let us in and then like people thronged in behind so I was literally in the public square with a 360 degree barrier around with people 10 deep for about half an hour while we waited for the lights to come on. And we were just, I don't know, we were expected just to jig around to the Christmas music. I, I thought I was going to just wet myself. I was worried, worried it was going to be my lowest point. Would <laughs> As opposed to just one of the low points. Ashes. England are in the midst of an Ashes annihilation. Their grip on the urn is decidedly flimsy at this point as they find themselves 2-0 down with three to play. For the second successive match, they were absolutely walloped, absolutely walloped by the Aussies in Adelaide. Australia won the toss, elected to bat first. At the end of day one, it seemed like England had just about enjoyed the better of the play. Australia were 270 for five. And England would have thought, well, maybe we can knock them over on the second morning. But Michael Clark scored 100, Brad Haddon scored 100, and Australia ended up declaring on 570 for nine, England were then blown away once again by Mitchell Johnson. They were all out for the third time in three innings for less than 200. One seven two they made. Only Ian Bell unbeaten on 72, providing any kind of resistance. Australia elected not to enforce the follow-on. They declared on 132 for three. Dave Warner finishing 83, not out. Uh, with two full days to survive, it never looked likely that England would manage to do that. And they didn't. They were all out for 312. 
Joe Root, Kevin Peterson and Matt Pryor all made half centuries, but Peter Siddle took four for 57, Ryan Harris three for 54, and Australia wrapped up the victory by 218 runs on the final day. So, Harry Styles, Emma Watson, the leader of UKIP, Nigel Farage, looks like our boys took one hell of a beating. Uh, It was only the second time in England's history, Tone, and the first time in living memory that they've been beaten by more than 200 runs in consecutive test matches. Obviously, that's slightly misleading because that doesn't count innings victories, but even so, it's not a great statistic, is it? Can you remember ever being quite so disappointed by a performance from the England cricket team? I mean, you know, there have been real low points over the years. Obviously, that 2006 whitewash was pretty desperate, but is this arguably even worse in the sense that we just weren't expecting England to be this bad? Arguably, <coughs> sorry. Saliva was pooling there. Uh, <laughs> Thanks for the image. Uh, I'm gonna bleed. It's <laughs> <laughs> just that your roundup went on so long. <laughs> uh, anyway, well, yes, arguably it is. I'd say slightly unthinkable. I think if you go back to the start of the summer, that this would be the case. Uh, I don't know. It's just, it is. It's it's bewildering in many ways, but and also explainable. It's annoying though that a lot of the people who were like, "Oh, Australia are better than you think," have actually maybe. I don't know if they've been proved right. Well, they have. But they're, they're, you would know. you count me among their number, or was I was I not quite? No, I don't, you weren't confident enough with that. I think <laughs> you wimped out. The position England find themselves in now is slightly terrifying, and I don't, you just don't know how they've got themselves into it. Bad luck, bad judgment, a combination of the two, really. I mean, being 2-0 down would be one thing, and that's immensely disappointing in itself, but the, the way in which they've just been outclassed in both games, I mean, it genuinely is like watching Australia play Bangladesh or something. They've, they've just been nowhere near good enough. And like I say, I mean, we, we weren't expecting this. We weren't expecting them to be this bad. We all thought it would be a very close-fought series. You know, the, maybe we thought that this, the summer scoreline was a little bit misleading. We thought this would be very close. But it hasn't been close. It's, it's incredible just how bad England have been. Like I say, it, it, it was close at times in the summer, I, and I think England, that scoreline was justified, or was a just scoreline. Uh, but uh, yeah, I definitely expected it to be close this winter, but I definitely thought England would edge it still, uh, and they have edged it quite a few times, just not in the right. That's your favourite joke. I was just going to that gag now more than, <laughs> more than once, but I'll come back to it again later, see if you've forgotten it. Uh, I mean, Boycott today was saying that it's the end, the glory days are over, it's all unravelled. And to a certain extent, it has unravelled, but just with an unbelievable amount of speed, it's just fall, fallen apart in, what, we're now two and a bit weeks? Yeah, Scary. I mean, they've, they've folded like origami, haven't they? <laughs> and, uh, you know, yeah, I, mean, I, I don't think that we were expecting, I don't think anyone, I don't think even the most optimistic Australian fan was expecting this. But is is it totally out of the blue? I mean, you know, is it maybe something that has been coming for a little while. I mean, for the last couple of years, you may disagree, but I've sort of had a a, a niggling feeling at the back of my mind that there was something not quite right (laughs) at the heart of this England team, something rotten in the state of Denmark. They were absolutely brilliant in India a year ago, but aside from that series, they've not really played that well for quite some time. I mean, they, they were whitewashed against Pakistan, as you remember. They drew in Sri Lanka. They lost to South Africa at home. They drew nil-nil in New Zealand and... You know, only just about got away without a defeat there. Now, in each of those series, there was this sort of feeling that England didn't quite do themselves justice. It was like, well, you know, they're, they're not at the top of the game, but, you know, they, they can clearly play better than this. But when it keeps happening over the course of two years, 
it's maybe difficult to conclude anything other than the fact that they're just not the team that they used to be. I mean, well, you, you've used the word unravel. The word I keep coming back to is malaise. Uh, there's an interesting, well, maybe not an interesting comparison to anyone else, but uh, there's a real comparison here to be drawn with the Newcastle football team. Okay, I thought you were going to say Manchester United. I was going to say great comparison. <laughs> no, 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 I don't think it's to, that, no. Back to Newcastle. Back to Newcastle. No, but for someone who is a Newcastle fan and watches Newcastle week in, week out, Newcastle are a team of good players very, very occasionally in the last few years, in the last couple of years. When, now that this team's been built, they've done well. But there's kind of often a negative tactic from Pardew that he never really goes for the jugular. Newcastle haven't scored more than two goals this season. But they, they kind of just do something to win matches. And it, it, for the most part, they, they seem to be doing it. And it's, it's, I think it's similar to what England have been like in the last couple of years. Like a team of good players you think should be, should be able to be used or should be playing with, a more, with more confidence and a bit more swagger. But maybe have been slightly restricted by the kind of mentality and by the, the tactics. I, mean, I think the, the Manchester United comparison is more apt. They, they are a team full of world-class players who have achieved a lot and you know, they, they've won lots of big things in the past. But now everything does just seem to be not quite how it used to be. And, and maybe there's a sense now that some of those players haven't been world-class for a little while and they've kind of got away with it you know, in the last couple of years. They've just about got away with it, but now suddenly... Everything's been thrown into pretty stark relief. But, you know, in a sense, you know, Australia have just arrived in this series. And we did say at the start of the series, you know, uh, Mitchell Johnson got a big build-up. Uh, and we said, well, looking back at his career, it's kind of 50-50. Either he's going to be brilliant or he's not going to be brilliant. And although 50-50 might have been a bit generous. I don't know. There was, a, there was a, probably a greater chance that he wasn't going to be very good. As it turns out, he has been, well, I guess, frightening to the England bowlers for, for whatever reason. Because Passman. Man bowlers. Yeah, so I don't know why I said bowlers. Uh, some... It's embarrassing, Tony. You yeah. embarrass yourself. Well, it's late, man. It's late. I've had a long day. I've been up since six. He has been frightening. He's been frightening the England batsman, which is strange because, uh, yeah, he's bowling better, but equally he's a bowler that has been a figure of ridicule in the past. So you'd think England should have gone into this series very confident facing Johnson. Well, I think they probably did, to be fair. I think it was just on, in that first innings of the series where he was a lot better than they were anticipating. I think suddenly... Everything changed in, in terms of their mentality. And yeah, he, he has been brilliant. You have to say that. You have to say he's been the difference. Well, I mean, and the batting. <laughs> the Australian batting, you know, England haven't batted very well at all, obviously. He's been one of the four or five key areas <laughs> where Australia have been better. But yeah, he, he has been superb. And, and as England fans, it's, it is very easy just to sit and look at and analyse how bad England have been. But Australia have been really good. And Johnson has been... Superb. I mean, he, he has been the kind of ferocious, the fearsome fast bowler that he's always had the potential to be, but just hasn't been. But saying that, in actual fact, in this game, he didn't get that many top-order batsmen out. He got Cook out twice, but that's it in terms of uh, top five. Generally speaking, the England top five got themselves out in this game. Bell was not out in the first innings. Cook was clean-bowled in the first innings. Peterson was maybe a little bit unlucky to, to play on against Peter Siddle in the second innings. But the other seven top five dismissals were arguably all self-inflicted. Maybe the nadir was Joe Root slog-sweeping Nathan Lyon's first ball and holding out. And actually, out of 40 dismissals in this series, 21 have been caught in the leg side, which I think is more than half. <laughs> uh, we, I've got some boffins working on that, but I think it's more than half. I mean, obviously, some of those have been caught at short leg and stuff, but the majority have actually been caught at mid-wicket or out in the deep. I mean, what's going on? What are they doing? Are their brains just scrambled? 
I don't know. It's been truly shocking, some of the dismissals. And, you know, I, when I watched the four wickets to fall on the fifth morning, it just, I mean, I, you know, to, to use a boycott expression, pathetic, really, because, yes, I, I, you know, I would probably last about three balls. but Yeah, but that's why you're not yeah, selected to yeah, play exactly. test cricket. You know, even the likes, even Stuart Broad, you know, he's got enough within him to think... He's got to believe that he can bat out the day. He's got to at least try. Uh, and, you know, they're just like smack against pulling shots away. You know, hit one six and then the next ball he's out caught. And you just think, what? I don't know. Well, that's not the approach that I wanted to see for sure. Yeah. And when Johnson, at least make it close, put the pressure on them. When Johnson and the others are bowling so well, don't gift them wickets. But saying that, I, I do think it's. A little bit more complicated. Like it, it, it's very, very frustrating as a fan to see someone like Alistair Cook, you know, get out in the manner that he did. And you, do, the automatic reaction is, "What the hell was that? That was a stupid shot." And yeah, as I say, I was listening to it on the radio in the car and boycott and agony were absolutely apoplectic and you know, saying, "Oh, what an idiot!" But it is slightly more complicated because you know, I mean, these are the margins, aren't they? I mean, if Cook had taken on Johnson and done it successfully and hit a four or a six, everyone would have been applauding him and that's kind of the ball game isn't it I mean I always think back to that Kevin Peterson innings at the Oval in 2005 which as you remember he made 1-5-8 essentially saved the game for England which meant that they won that series now that innings really stands out in people's minds because he took on Brett Lee played sort of four five hook shots that went for six now a couple of those were genuine top edges that he didn't have much control over and if he'd been caught for 40 or 50 or 60 England would have probably lost that game and not won the Ashes, and he'd have probably been slaughtered in the press, but the the only difference is that he got away with it. So I don't necessarily have a problem with the idea of taking on Johnson. I guess the thing is you've got to pick your moment to do it, and that was what was frustrating, that Cook had only been in about four deliveries and he was taking on Johnson. And the same with Joe Root slog-sweeping Nathan Lyon. At least have a little bit of a look and get used to the pace and the flight of the ball. Yeah, it is form as well. And you look at, you know, you just have to look across the, dressing room to the opposite dressing room uh, you know you see David Warner he's come out in every innings and you know that's his game uh, and he's, he's not gonna be able to do it every time but clearly he's in good nick and got a lot of confidence Don't, you know he's getting on top of the batsman pretty early uh, and and kind of setting a really good bowlers why do I keep saying the wrong thing I don't know you're just an idiot I think I think I might be just, <laughs> just what the just what? a moron it's so oh right anyway. <laughs> uh, definitely cut that <laughs> <laughs> You won't. Mate. Uh, anyway, so yeah, uh, Warner's been coming out and getting on top of the England bowlers. And they're kind of every right to be slightly nervous when they're, when they're kind of putting the ball towards him. Bowling it, if you like. <laughs> <laughs> when they're propelling the ball towards him with their hands. But I mean, you, I don't know we, we, you know. we can dance back and forth between what's worse, the England bowlers or batsmen, uh, or who's better, the kind of Australian bowlers or batsmen, who, you know, who, where the kind of key deficiencies are or key uh, advantages but you know suddenly all of a sudden this England batting lineup just looks weak doesn't it now I mean you know Root when he came into the side I think Gooch called him a once in a generation cricketer and I'm certain he'll be he'd be very good but you just you think you know you look at Carberry, Root, Stokes and, and then the form of the other players around them and it's just I don't know there's not much confidence. On paper it, it does look a lot weaker than it has for a while and the, you know the loss of trot is massive in that sense just in terms of the names in that batting lineup it, it suddenly doesn't look nearly so strong and you know yeah joe root did get what 87 in the second innings here and did play if you're looking for plump lips that last you need to know about juvederm lip fillers 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Play really well, and he keeps showing flashes of being a top-class cricketer, which I'm sure he will be, but he's played 13 tests now. He has 200 350s, and a lot of players wouldn't have been given the number of chances that he has at this point. Nick Compton being a clear example of that. So the fact that he's you know not only still there, but he's been promoted again to number three is a little bit strange in a way, but he did play well in that second innings. I mean, clearly the lack of runs from the top order is a well, pretty much fatal problem. But as I said last week, I mean, arguably an equally big problem is the lack of runs from the lower order. England's 7-11 have contributed 185 runs in 10 innings between them. Quick bit of mass, that means they're averaging 18.5. They're averaging less than 50 for the whole lot of them. Uh, 9-11 to have scored 47 runs in six innings, which is which is only slightly more than 15 runs for the whole lot of them. Now, by comparison, Australia's number eight is averaging 54. Australia's number 10 is averaging 64. And actually, in both test matches so far, England have had Australia on the back foot in the first innings. And like I say, at the end of the first day, they were 270 for five. If they'd been knocked over for 320, it could have been a very different test match. But what actually happened is they went out and added another 300 runs. Whereas England sort of go from five down to all out in the blink of an eye. And that is a massive difference and I you know I, I think to a large extent that that's where it's being won and lost yeah certainly waking up on that second well I guess the first morning in England you know everyone was really positive it, it looked good and again in this test as you say for them to go from you know what were they two 257 for five unforgivable really to allow them to get to the total they got to uh and, and then yeah as you say the way England had just been ripped apart I've, left the cricket on when I went to sleep on what was it would have been Friday night Saturday morning when I woke up I was like oh I must have I kept waking up and Johnson was taking wickets I must have been you know I must have been waking up a dozen times it felt like but actually I must have been awake once for 15 minutes when he took five wickets yeah. and just it just felt like every time I woke up he was taking a wicket we got three in and over didn't you yeah and, I mean that's that kind of momentum happens isn't it when you yeah and that, and that is take, where clutches of wickets that is where you'd have to say he has been the difference because he is capable of just blowing away the lower order the England lower order do not fancy facing him 
Whereas England don't have anybody like that. They don't have anyone as quick as that. I mean, Stuart Broad does it to an extent, but not to the same extent. And, you know, the Australian New Order don't have as much to fear. The other big thing, of course, is that um, England's fielding hasn't been at the standard that we're used to. And they did put down quite a few catches in that first innings. Brad Haddon, who went out and got 100, was dropped on, what, six or seven on that first evening. Michael Carberry putting down a dolly. Uh, now, I almost punched a hole in the wall uh, when that happened. I just had Rice Krispies pour, <laughs> pouring down my face. Uh, was, uh, I'm so convinced. Not, I was actually thinking about it all day at work. <laughs> like, every time something, you know, slightly funny or, or nice would happen, i go, <laughs> oh. And then I was like, why was I... Oh, Carberry. No, oh, no, I know. I mean, it's criminal. That was criminal. And you, you can't get away with that. I mean, and they didn't get away with it, so... Yeah, uh, and, you know, no one does it on purpose, do they? Do they? And Carberry is generally a very good fielder, and these things do happen. But, you know, it's just so frustrating, particularly when Australia's fielding has been outstanding. They, they took some unbelievable catches in this game. Warner catching uh, Carberry at square leg. I mean, that was, that was an incredible effort. Um, I mean, when you kind of look back on what we've just spoken about... It is every area that Australia have been better. Yeah. And they do, you know, England have just been, I don't know if you can say caught cold, but they've, it just feels like they've gone from kind of a little bit of, you know, obviously the back of three consecutive Ashes victories to come in. But two weeks later, it's kind of game over already. And I, I don't know how they, I don't know how they pick themselves up from it. It's very difficult. And, you know, it, it's very hard to explain as well. I mean, we, you know, we've identified these areas and, yeah, Mitchell Johnson's a big difference. But you wonder whether they just, haven't been up for it or maybe you know they they may have thought that they didn't have to be at the very top of their game to beat this lot I don't know I mean Jimmy Anderson I think is a is is a real problem and this is not something that's been talked about a lot I mean everyone's focusing on Graham Swan who hasn't been very effective Anderson since Old Trafford has taken 14 wickets in five tests at an average of 46 now if you think at Trent Bridge he looked like he was just much too good for Australia but we, you know, people were saying he's the best bowler in the world. Yeah, and and you're saying, like, well, how are Australia ever going to put a score on the board? Because Anderson is just way too good for any of their batsmen. And since then, you know, he's actually been pretty toothless. And you know, you've got to give a lot of credit to the Australian batsmen; they found a way to cope with him. But his level has dropped as well. And unless he and Swan can find a way to raise their game, it, it's hard to see how England are, are going to get back into this series, get get anything out of this series. I mean, do they make changes for Perth? Does Tim Bresnan come back into the equation, maybe? If he does, which spinner does he replace? Would it be Panazar or would it be Swan? Well, I mean, arguably you get rid of both, don't you? I don't know. You'd have to imagine there's going to be a few changes, and I think they have to change it up. Change everything up, really. They've kind of backed themselves into a... Well, they haven't backed themselves into a hole, but they've they've found themselves in a, in a hole, haven't they? So they're going to have to make changes to kind of get out of it. <laughs> I not that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't where I was going. I backed myself into a hole there. Should we, uh, we start again? Yeah, let's just start again. Yeah. I'm just angry, mate. Just I angry. mean, we've already started again twice and you, you <laughs> yeah, we, got stuck on the same bit again. Just over three hours of material. <laughs> uh, yeah, bring, get, bring balance in. Bring Bresden in. I mean, everyone gets better when they're not in the side, right, don't they? Because people are like, yeah, we need Gary Balance. Like, he's never played a <laughs> oh, test yeah. match before. We need someone. Yeah. Bring a bit of balance to the batting order. Uh, <laughs> Just for the puns, if nothing yeah. else. I mean, SOS to Compton as well. Onions. SOSs should be going out across the world <laughs> at this point. Yeah, we mentioned Swan. You know, Swan and Anderson, was nine wickets between them in the series so far. I mean, Johnson has obviously got the bulk of the wickets. I don't think... 
if Johnson was slightly off form, you know, it might be, might have, I mean, there are, there are mitigating factors, aren't there? You know, Australia have won both tosses, which have been, which is important. Yeah, I and guess. actually really important, uh, particularly in this game, I think, that the, the, the toss was pretty vital. But saying that, I think England thought it was vital, and I think when they lost the toss, they, they kind of felt that they weren't going to win the game. It was almost like they were playing for a draw after that. Mm. You can point to the you know, Rogers, Watson, who haven't got any runs yet in the Australian team, but really you only need a couple of people in a, in a series or in a test match to put their hands up. A couple of batsmen and a couple of bowlers and... Australia have got that, whereas England, no one's put their hand up yet, have they? You know, Warner, Clark, Haddon, just in fantastic nick. Uh, and Ryan Harris as well. Mitchell Johnson, obviously, it's enough. They are playing really well. I mean, I'm sure they can hardly believe their luck in the sense that England have, have been so bad and they've, they've gifted them so many wickets. It's like they think it's Christmas or something. But they have played really well. And, and as we say, obviously, the, 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 the recall of Johnson has been massively influential but as you say he's not the only player performing Michael Clark has two centuries under his belt already and you wouldn't bet against him adding to that tally but Johnson's the man I mean I, I think the thing with Johnson is that not only is he doing what he's doing but he's also injected the rest of the team with a huge amount of confidence and I think it's a lot easier to be Steve Smith or George Bailey you know and just concentrate on your own game when you know that you've got a weapon like that in your arsenal now you know if like I said I don't think England the England lower order in particular fancy facing Johnson. I, I think Australia can sense that and they're loving that. But, you know, it's easy for them to love it because they don't have to face Johnson. And, you know, that kind of, it just imbues them with a, a, a confidence that helps their own game. But I actually think that the key to all of this is Ryan Harris. I think the the major difference for me between Australia with Mitchell Johnson now and Australia with Mitchell Johnson in the past is that he isn't the leader of the attack. He can be used as a strike bowler. He can just run in bowl at full, full tilt in short bursts because he knows that Harris and Siddle as well are going to be doing the bulk of the work and you know going to be keeping it really tight, going to be bowling quick as well and uh, and taking wickets. So Johnson doesn't have to worry about anything other than just running in and doing what he does and I, I think that's taken all the pressure off him and, and that's the difference for me. Yeah, I think that's spot on. And as well, Johnson, as you say, the effect he'll have on, the, on his teammates is, is, yeah, I think... Prices. He's a tremendously exciting bowler to watch. Everyone likes fast bowlers, and when you know when it's up at like 92, 93, even if, even as he's ripping through England's batting lineup, there is a, a tinge of admiration. I think because yeah, he has had. When you see a player like that who's had their up and downs, uh, it's it's fantastic to watch him in full flow, and he's got that action that's. I have been really enjoying. Watching like Maling, he's yeah. kind of he's got a very slingy action that it doesn't kind of look quite right. But he's obviously really putting, really winging it. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, and th- those kind of bowlers are exciting to watch, and you can imagine being in the field watching that. You know, your your backs would you'd just be smelling blood every time you ran in. Uh, so, like as you say, mu- yeah, it must have a tremendous effect, as opposed to seeing him kind of trundle in and be thwacked away every other ball. I mean, the question is, where do England go from here? And the answer is Perth. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, you can make the joke if you want. Well, no, I just I saw it coming a mile off. Should we start again? Should we start the episode again? Can you see any way back for England, bearing in mind that they've only won once at Perth before, and that was against a very weak Australia side in the 70s? Well, I was it? about to say that n- not one person has talked about Perth without mentioning his record there, so they can't avoid it. They can't hide from it. I and also, there's no way they can, that they can win because they've not won there since the 70s. Fact. Fact. Full stop. I don't normally buy this thing of, like, 
the history of a ground means that it makes a team more or less like, likely to win. Like, you know, Australia hadn't lost at Lord since, you know, 1920 or whatever. And people said, well, you know, England, England will never beat them because the weight, England have got to overturn the weight of history. Like, that doesn't mean anything when it's new teams. And sure enough, England did win in 2009. But, but the key point here is that the reason England haven't won at Perth in recent times is because it is so bouncy and they don't deal with that very well. And when you consider what happened on a pretty slow, flat pitch at in Adelaide, you've got to imagine it's going to be even more difficult on the kind of surface they'll find in Perth. They've just got to... Yeah, it's obvious, you know, they've just got to start the test well and they've got to finish it well, neither of which they've done. Probably did the middle tests. bit well as well. Well, the middle really matters. <laughs> just start and finish well. Just, you know, at least leave a bit of positivity in the minds of the public. I guess Melbourne and Sydney will maybe be a little bit more to their liking. So you do sort of feel like if they can just get a grip on themselves, it's not necessarily completely beyond the realms of possibility that they could win both of those final two games. Certainly if they win at Melbourne, say it's 2-0, they win at Melbourne, it's 2-1, that final game at Sydney will be absolutely huge. They've just got to find a way to come out of Perth unscathed. But saying that, you know, with the type of pitch they're, they're going to be facing, it's pretty difficult to see it being a draw, which means they've got to win. And well, that's I mean- going to be hard. Thinking back to when this uh, crazy journey started all those months ago, I think I predicted 6-2, 3-0 in the summer and 3-2 to England this winter. It's still on. <laughs> uh, remarkably, even though we're what almost three quarters of the way through that run of matches, you know, my, my prediction's spot on, but <laughs> it's so far from becoming a reality that, you know, it, it's, 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 much, well, it's looking likely it's going to be 5-3 in the end to Australia. But yet, six two is also a possibility. Do you think the whitewash is on? It is. Well, it's got to be on, isn't it? At this rate. Well, I mean, it, it literally is. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, certainly if they win at Perth, you wouldn't bet against it. You've got to think the whitewash is a possibility, and just because of the manner of the first two defeats, you know, it, yeah, it, it is staring us in the face somewhat. You think, oh, maybe it, you know they're at their lowest point. This is where you sit down, you, you have it out in the dressing room, don't you? And then. You go out and play better, but that's kind of what we thought <laughs> might happen to do after, the first after Brisbane. And it was even worse in some respects. Yeah, I mean, there is an opportunity for heroes to be made here. Uh, someone's got to stand up. There's a movie script in here somewhere, if England can pull it off. It made me laugh before, uh, before the first morning. You know, a huge build-up again. Bozzing I was. Oh, no, no one's going to get that joke. Buzzing <laughs> I was. Uh, the... Uh, for the start, sat down. Absolutely buzzing. Yeah, toss happens. I think I think it was after toss. Any toss happens, you were probably outside. I don't know, just retiling the roof or something. Yeah, yeah. I just had uh, the the uh, pressure wash. So I was just getting some marks off the the outside wall. <laughs> it was, I mean, it wasn't going to do itself, was it? So. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but yeah, like, you know, like huge excitement. Uh, and then Sky played like a ten minute piece about Bumble going shark dive, cage diving, whatever you call yeah. it. Really stole the kind of stole all that buzz away and just buried it. Stole the balls. Yeah. Well, you, so when it came by the time it came back, you know the game was really flat at the start. I was like, oh god. <laughs> well, you text me about that. I said to you, arguably a bit rich coming from us, but Sky, but Sky need to focus less on the banter <laughs> and more on the cricket. Because like the, the first like twenty minutes of the Brisbane Test was basically just Warren Hussein and Atherton bantering each other off about Hussein winning the toss and choosing to bowl in Brisbane in 2002. And Atherton would crack some gag and one would be like, well, you can't talk, Athers. <laughs> no. Do you think Athers and like, Hussein and stuff were slightly annoyed when Warren was brought in as the punnet? Because you know, they they've got no comebacks, really, <laughs> yeah. against them. 
Yes, Mr. Warren. <laughs> sure thing, Mr. Warren. Much like air traffic control in the southern regions of the United Kingdom over the weekend, this episode of the World Cricket Show is about to grind to a halt. Chaos tone. Travel chaos. Have you got any material about this? No. If you want that slot on Mock the Week, you probably <laughs> need to be a bit sharp. HS2, all right. Or the, yeah. HS- Heathrow. The, the S3 airport. Other kind of transport, big transport projects. You're just saying the names yeah. of travel things. Terminal 5. Terminal 5. What a joke that was. <laughs> God. I hate people who slag off Terminal 5. Well, do they still? Well, just negative, isn't it? There's something about like all the light bulbs in Terminal 5 can't be changed. So like half of them have gone out, but they're, they're physically unable to change them. I don't well, quite how that works. Yeah, that is a bit stupid if that's true. I mean, see, yeah, okay. Give them a break. This country, eh? Am I right? Yeah. This country. Another English debacle, as our Aussie listeners would probably say. Um, can, can, uh, whilst, you know, whilst we're in the, the pits here over at World Cricket Show Towers... Perhaps uh, Australian listeners would like to email in or send in examples of Australian debacles, perhaps big <laughs> public uh, public projects that went wrong, embar- <laughs> national embarrassments, that sort of thing. You got any, Just, any bridges that weren't completed <laughs> or anything like that? Just something to make us feel a bit better over here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you didn't ask me about my weekend, Tane? Well, I did before the show, didn't I? Yeah, you did, actually. How yeah, was your weekend? I've, I've misrepresented yeah, slightly. what you're like as a friend. Uh, no, well, yeah, it was a good weekend. I had a good weekend. I had my work too on Saturday, which was quite fun. Uh, and the previous night, uh, I ended up. Well, re- ended up. <laughs> well, regular listeners know that me and you went to the same school, didn't we? And uh, the other night, I same year at school. Same year at school. Like, yeah. School buddies. Yeah. Same primary school. S- s- little mates, weren't we? <laughs> Depressing. Little mates at school. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. So on Friday night, I found myself at the teachers' Christmas party. For our school, uh, will this be weird if I don't explain why? Well, you're romantically involved yeah. with a teacher at our school. Should be said, not one who was there when we were there. Yeah, I mean, she's yeah. she's our age, isn't she? But teachers there now still seems de- weird. Depressingly enough, we left, we left <laughs> nine years ago. So yeah, there you go. Uh, but yes, yeah, so it was. It, what was a little bit strange is yeah, a lot of the people that were there taught me at school and taught you as well. But it, yeah, it was it was quite funny in a lot of ways. But your name kept coming up whenever I spoke you didn't to this the before. teachers. Yeah, <laughs> wow! Like they oh kept, god, they kept coming over and being like, "Hey, <laughs> how's it going? What are you up to now? How's it, you still in touch with Tony Kerr?" Literally, the phrase "Are you still in touch with Tony Kerr?" kept coming up. So I handed out stickers and, uh, <laughs> and badges and just directed them to the podcast. That's but I genuinely was like, "Do you still hear anything from Tony?" What was he, What did you say? Kerr? I was like, yeah, sometimes, yeah. <laughs> Occasionally. Um, but, I mean, that was kind of true at the time as well, wasn't it? That you, you were sort of the, the celebrity. I don't know if that's true. <laughs> In our, yeah, I always remember uh, our friend Patrick, good friend of the show, Patrick, saying that, I mean, both he and you had quite long hair <laughs> in, uh, in sick form, which wasn't really allowed. And Patrick said that teachers would always come up to him and be like, for God's sake, Patrick, I've told you time and time again, you've got to get your hair cut. Cut your hair. And then they'd like turn around to you and be like, Tony! <laughs> hey! Great to see you, mate. Uh, <laughs> uh, which, yeah. Yeah. Well, no, you know, I, was, I, I had friends on both sides, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That sounds weird. 
Yeah. No. You were sort of a collaborator in a way. Well, yeah, I mean, teachers. that's one way of looking at it. Yeah. Uh, no, no, I just, yeah, I it was just That's all anyone wanted to know. How's Tony it's doing? Good to know, What's Tony up to? And uh, yeah, I sort of, in a way, is it a bit depressing that they were like, are you still there? Uh, you still friends with Tony Kerr? And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, we actually did a podcast together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember the other week going, uh, flying back, where was I flying back from? Like Manchester or something. Uh, and yeah, sat next to someone I went to school with who I'd not seen for about six or seven years. Yeah, and I, I, I don't know, I just assumed that because we all do, I don't know, we all just keep it, why? Well, I was going to say keep in touch. Yeah. We actually yeah. spend a lot of time with each other. Yeah, like a whole, there's a decent proportion of us year at school who we're still really good friends with and see all the time. But yeah, I don't know. I just hadn't dawned on me really that it hadn't occurred to me that other people might not have that situation. So he was like, oh yeah, I haven't seen anyone for ages. Yeah, do you, uh, do you hear much from Adam Bayford? <laughs> stuff? I was just like, but nah, occasionally, again, similar response to you. Yeah. So like, yeah, yeah, he pops up on my newsfeed every now and then. Just chuck a comment his way. Just saying something bloody stupid. <laughs> yeah. But you said, what I quite like about that, you said, oh, he's, uh, you know, he's, he's working in a shop or something in some northern town. Uh, and so for you, you were like, oh, that'd be weird. But what I quite like about that is that you both would have come away from that conversation yeah. just going... Sad. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Sad we, case. We just like shook hands off the, off yeah. the plane, and I was just like, "Oh God, that's, that's depressing." And he's probably just like, "Yeah, God, he's still hanging out, he's with, still hanging out with these old losers." <laughs> yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Yeah, that really makes you thing. think about your life. Yeah, it really does in a lot of ways. Uh, but the other thing that our old maths teacher said, he came up and he, well, I mean, he asked me about you, but actually, what he initially said was. Bases, which is which is my old cricket team nickname. But then he asked me about you, and then he asked if I was still playing cricket. And I was like, big time, mate, big time. Leading wicket taker, Kobo Legends last season. Can't argue with that. Hit one six as well. <laughs> Caught hooking numerous <laughs> times. Um, yeah, that's it for this week. Uh, if you like the show, I'm happy for you. Uh, and you can go onto the internet and get more involved. Am I selling this well? I'd certainly recommend you do that. Uh, Twitter. How do you get more involved? Twi- Twitter. <laughs> Twitter. <laughs> Twitter.com slash Twitter. Cricket show is to all intents and purposes me. Twitter.com slash Tony Cover is to all intents and purposes Tony. Uh, follow both of us. Tweet, I've tried tweet to tweet. during the cricket. I have tried to tweet. I've tweeted a couple of things. Yeah. What I really need is... Uh, someone to follow me around and kind of take the, the funny things I say uh, and the kind of insightful punditry but then make it like make it make sense and tweet it for me that's sort of what I try to that's do what you try and do, yeah. Yeah. Facebook is another social media site facebook.com slash cricket show like us there you can send us an email worldcricketshow at gmail.com find all of this stuff on our website, which is cricketshow.net. And if you've got a spare couple of minutes this week, write a review for us on iTunes. We do really appreciate all of those. But that is it. Stay in school, boys and girls. Next test, just hours away. A couple of days away. So, yeah, we'll be back next week with the Perth Report. That will also be our Christmas the special. The Perth Report sounds cool. I like the Perth Report. It's the Perth Report. And as you say, Christmas special, it's all happening. This is really, this is the Christmas period. I mean, Boxing Day, obviously, 
uh, is a big one, isn't it? But the Boxing Day test, you know, the landmark. It's late. It's bloody 10 o'clock. It's far too late to be it's, doing this nonsense. It's my bedtime. I need to <laughs> there's, go. No cr- there's not even any cricket on we go. <laughs> Rubbish. Oh. All right. Cool. <laughs> Let's go. Bye for now. Cherry bye. I'll cut that. Can smell your fear. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.